All right, well, today we are continuing with the third part in our series on the letter to the Philippians. In part one, we brought an introductory message focused on how this assembly of believers in Philippi was founded and established. And we saw that they were a group of believers who responded to the word of God. And they were also a group of believers who experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And they were a group of believers who stood firm in their faith in the midst of difficulty and trials and persecution. And these things kind of gave us a broad context as we began to look at the letter. And then last week, in part two, we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And we talked a lot about sharing in God's grace and peace together and how this grace produces the affection of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives towards each other and about praying with joy and with thanksgiving, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. We talked about how God's uh, sustaining work continues in our lives and about how God wants our love to abound more and more in knowledge and in the word of God so that we can have godly discernment so that we can be pure and blameless on the day of Jesus Christ, and so that we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. Now, as we continue this week, keep in mind some of the themes that run throughout this letter. Relationship, unity, joy. It's one of Paul's most joyful letters. And it's not about joy, but Paul just is joyful as he's writing to them. And he demonstrates joy for us in real life. And then lastly, remember Paul's situation. He's in prison, we believe, during his first imprisonment in Rome. So, all right, as we're about to look at the text this morning, would you just bow for a moment in prayer? Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives, and give us faith to respond to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's pick it up right where we left off last week, beginning in verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So when Epaphras came from Philippi with the gifts from the church to help support Paul, he certainly also came with a lot of questions from the church. The believers were wondering about how Paul was doing, was he suffering, what was, like, what was life like for him. And it looks like they were also concerned about um, the possibility that um, Paul's ability to share the gospel had been curtailed. But Paul tells them right up front, that what has happened to him has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, really? I mean, think about that for a second. In the natural, that doesn't seem likely. I mean, let's look for a minute at what had happened to Paul that led up to this situation. I mean, it has been a journey of several years in the making. It started in Jerusalem several years earlier. He had been falsely accused by a mob, nearly uh, torn in two as they were beating him and trying to kill him. He was arrested and almost beaten by the Roman uh, soldiers until they found out that he was a Roman citizen. Then he was the subject of an assassination plot. Then he was kept in prison in Caesarea by Governor Felix for two years, even though he was not found guilty of any wrongdoings. And then when the new governor... Festus took over, he tried Paul again in Caesarea, which resulted in Paul using his right to appeal to Caesar. 
And then this led to a disastrous boat trip. They were caught in a violent storm for two weeks and finally shipwrecked on an island. And when they finally reached Rome, Paul was then in prison. And by the time he's writing this letter, he's been in Rome about two years as he's awaiting uh, his appeal before Caesar. So how in the world did all of this serve to advance the gospel? Well, let's look at that just a little bit more closely because it will illustrate for us how God is able to work in our lives through difficult times. All right, so let's start with looking a little bit more closely at Paul's imprisonment in Rome. It began in Acts chapter 28. Paul has just arrived in Rome, and in verse 16 it says this, When we got to Rome... Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now, this was common practice. Uh, There were just too many cases for everyone with an appeal to live in prison, so it was common for people to be under house arrest while awaiting a hearing. Now, today we know if you're under house arrest, they have ankle bracelets and monitors and surveillance, but back then, of course, they didn't have any of that. So instead, Roman soldiers would take shifts guarding prisoners. And they would be chained to the prisoner for the entire shift so that they couldn't get away. So Paul was chained to one Roman guard or another for nearly two years here. Now, I know that some of you probably feel like uh, on occasions when the pastor goes a little bit too long on his message, you feel like you're chained to your seat. And when I finally say amen, you're singing, free at last, free at last, praise God, I'm free at last. Well, if you've ever felt that way, how would you like to be chained to me for eight hours? I mean, can you imagine what it was like for those Roman soldiers being chained to the Apostle Paul? You know, I'm not sure it was always the Apostle Paul who felt imprisoned. Going on, uh, the last two verses of Acts chapter 28 say this. For two whole years, Paul stayed in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so Paul, for nearly two years, has been chained 24-7 to various Roman soldiers. And and during that whole time, he's welcoming visitors and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. All those people coming and hearing the gospel and all those soldiers who are chained to him are overhearing Paul's conversations day in and day out. Conversations that are full of grace. Conversations that are full of Jesus. They would overhear him as he talked to people. They would overhear him as he dictated letters to the churches. They would hear him as he prayed for people. And in all likelihood, they saw people healed right before their eyes. And they certainly had occasion from time to time to talk and converse directly with Paul. I mean, after all, you don't spend a whole shift chained to somebody and not have a chance to just talk with them a little bit. And so by the time we come to verses 12 and 13 in Philippians chapter 1, Paul has spent two years in this confinement proclaiming the gospel, not only to all those who are coming to him, but to a significant portion of the Roman guard as well. And so going back to verse 13 in the first chapter of Philippians, he says this. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Let me read that one more time. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for 
Christ. Okay, so what we think has happened by the time of this writing is that the time for Paul's appeal to be heard is drawing near. And so they've moved him from his rented house into stricter custody. The word here for palace guard is praetorium. And the praetorian guard was attached to the emperor's palace. So this is probably why several verses later, it looks like Paul hopes to be restored to them soon. It looks like his case is about to be heard. And so now, after proclaiming the gospel in Rome for two years, he says the whole praetorian guard has heard about the risen Jesus. And it's become clear to all of them that Paul is in chains for Christ. The idea is that all of these battle-hardened soldiers who were used to dealing with criminals and bad people of all types have become aware that Paul is in chains for Jesus, not for doing something wrong. It's clear not only to these guards, but to everyone else. Everyone who's heard about it understands that he's not in chains because he's done anything wrong. It's not because he's broken any laws. Uh, He's not a murderer. He's not a thief. He's not an insurrectionist. It's not because he's violent or has hurt anyone. They all know it has nothing to do with anything like that. He's in chains for Jesus. He's suffering for Jesus. You know, Peter wrote in his first letter that if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. That's what's going on with Paul here. I mean, the people who had initially had him arrested, I mean, they had lied about him to the centurion. They lied about him to Governor Felix. They lied about him to Governor Festus. Say, can I tell you what? The devil is a liar. Jesus said that he's been a liar from the beginning. He lies about God's people. He lies about who they are. He lies about their motives. He tries to make them look bad and evil and mean and, and, uh, and uncaring. That's his M.O., That's how he operates. And Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but people who hold to biblical values and morals are often lied about and misrepresented in our society and in our media. And that's what's going on with Paul here. These people were accusing him all because they saw him as a threat to their own power. And they wanted to stop him from proclaiming the grace and love and mercy and salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. But look what happened. In spite of all that opposition, for more than four years now, from Caesarea to Rome, the gospel has gone forth unhindered. And now, most everyone around the situation knows that all those charges were false and made up by jealous and petty people. You know what? You cannot chain up God. You cannot chain up the Holy Spirit. You know, in chapter 4, it even indicates that some of Caesar's own household have come to faith in Jesus. The gospel here traveled in ways that it never would have traveled if Paul hadn't been arrested. (coughs) And I've already heard many stories Uh, during this coronavirus stay-at-home order. Stories from our very own congregation of the grace of God traveling in ways it never would have before without this. Now, 
I'm not saying that this is a good thing, and I'm not saying I want this stay-at-home order to go on any, a minute longer than it has to. But I, what I am saying is that you cannot lock up God. You cannot lock up the grace of God, and you cannot lock up the activity of the Holy Spirit. God goes where he wants, when he wants, and the Holy Spirit does what he wants, when he wants. You don't chain up the Spirit of God. And look what happened in the next verse. In verse 14, it says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I want to read that one one more time. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Well, now, that is counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, you would think if you were a despot or a dictator or a persecutor that when you brought some punishment or in persecution on the leaders of a group that you were trying to silence that, you know, the effect would be that the others would go away and be quiet, that, they, that they'd be afraid to speak up. But historically, that's not what has happened with Christians. I mean, you stop one group from meeting over here, and five other groups pop up over here. You stop one preacher from preaching over here, and ten more pop up over here. And, you know, persecution has never really been an effective way of hindering the spread of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I mean, it's an effective way of making Christians' lives difficult and miserable sometimes. And I believe that that stuff needs to be called out by, by free Christians everywhere. Those of us who have a voice should use it to speak for those who don't have a voice. But historically, the more the body of Christ has been persecuted, the more it has spread. I mean, maybe sometimes in the short term persecution works, but eventually what seems to happen is that more and more people begin to proclaim the gospel and more and more people come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Let me just give you a few examples. The early persecutions of the Jewish leaders didn't work. The gospel still ended up spreading all across the Roman Empire. The Roman persecutions didn't really work. They executed most all of the apostles, and the gospel kept on spreading. They eventually fed Christians to lions, and more and more people kept coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spanish Inquisition didn't stamp out the preaching of the gospel. The Soviet Union and the entire Soviet bloc severely oppressed Christians. They even tried to get rid of Bibles, which had to be smuggled in and memorized by believers. And yet, house church movements sprang up throughout the communist bloc, even under heavy persecution. You know, in China, when the communists took control in 1953, they kicked out all of the missionaries and closed the country to the outside world. At the time, it's estimated that there were somewhere around 700,000 Christian believers in China. And that's not really a lot when you consider um, a country of that size. And for decades, no one really knew what was going on with the church in China. It was feared that with heavy persecution, the church there might cease to exist. Did you know that today there are between 55 million and 97 million Christian believers in China? And they're experiencing a tremendous revival. And then also amazing things are happening in places like Iran and other predominantly Muslim countries. Today, God is moving in many difficult places all across the world. 
Let me share just a few encouraging stats with you from, from Lifeway Press. You know what, we've heard a lot about the growth rate of Christianity in our country kind of being flat and, and maybe even going down a little bit. Globally, Christianity is growing at a rate that is faster than the worldwide birth rate. The church continues to grow remarkably in South America and Africa and Asia, and the growth rate among Pentecostals and Evangelicals is nearly double the worldwide population growth rate. God is not in prison. The Holy Spirit is not in prison. The grace of God is not in prison. You know, the French philosopher Voltaire once said that 100 years after his death, that the only place you'd be able to find a Bible would be in a museum. But you know, he died in 1778. And did you know that 100 years after his death, the French Bible Society set up its headquarters in Voltaire's old home in Paris? I think God has a sense of humor. And the Bible is more distributed now than ever before with over 6.5 billion copies in print. And its availability electronically is exploding all over the world. Let me give you just a few more stats. And these are just from the YouVersion uh, app of the Bible. And they're really amazing. In the last 11 years, YouVersion has been downloaded to more than 400 million unique devices. And they report that in 2019, YouVersion community has engaged in God's word more than in any previous year. 35.6 billion chapters read. 5.6 billion audio chapters played. 1.1 billion Bible plan days completed. 2 billion verses highlighted or bookmarked or notes created. And then 478 million verses shared. And all that's just from one Bible app. That doesn't include Bible Gateway and, and other Bible apps as well. God is not in chains. The Holy Spirit is not in chains. God's word is not in chains. God goes where he will, when he will, and he does what he wants to do. And for those who try to oppose him, well, it's kind of like trying to break an anvil with a hammer. I mean, you can go through a hundred hammers. You can go through a thousand hammers and still not break that anvil. Peter said it this way. All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. In the end, the anvil will remain, but every hammer will lie shattered in pieces on the ground. Because the name of Jesus is above every other name. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what Paul was experiencing in our verses today. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. All right, so, so let's stop there right now, and we'll pick it up again next week in verse 15. But I want to end with a poem. It was written some 3,000 years ago, and it's found in the book of Psalms, chapter 2. 
but it relates to the verses that we looked at today. And it says this, Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will be led to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Did you know that the early church quoted this psalm in one of their prayer meetings? It happened in, in Acts chapter 4. Peter had healed a man who everybody knew was lame. And Peter and John were telling all of the amazed people how it was in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that he had been healed. And, of course, uh, the, the rulers were upset and they, that they were speaking in the name of Jesus. So they arrested Peter and John. They put him in prison overnight. And then afterwards they threatened them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And when Peter and John reported everything back to the church, they started a prayer meeting. And in their prayers, they quoted part of the psalm. Why do the nations rage, the kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one? And, you know, when people go after Jesus' church, they're really going after Jesus himself. That's how Jesus interprets it. But I want you to see how they ended this prayer. This is what they wanted. This, this is their prayer request. They said, Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then look how God responded in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What happened to them served to advance the gospel, and most of the brothers and sisters became confident in the Lord and dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You know, I believe we need that now more than ever. The world around us is being shaken, and we need God to stretch out his gracious hand, to move in gifts of the Spirit, to heal people. Oh, we need healing in our day to perform signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. And we need believers in Jesus to have the boldness and humility and love to speak his word and to believe for all of these good things from the hand of God for the people in our communities. And so here's how we're going to close our service. You know, I want to give everyone an opportunity. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, if, if you don't have a relationship with him and you really haven't been, been walking with him, here's what he says to you. He says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And John tells us this is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Because you see, you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. I, I could never be good enough to measure up to God's standards. He's holy, and, and I'm not. I'm, I'm sinful. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, away from God for eternity in a place called hell. But God doesn't want that for any one of us because that same verse goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so if you're going to be okay with God, if you're going to be right with God, you need to come to him. He won't force you. He won't force it on you. But if you come to him willingly, he's willing to accept you and give you his grace. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to bow in prayer. And if you're ready to start a relationship with God, to begin walking with Jesus, I would like you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. And I confess, I can't save myself. I can never measure up to your standard. I'm a sinner and you're holy. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. And help me to walk with you and grow in you all of the days of my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, my friend, if you've done that, I can tell you with all the authority of the word of God that God has washed away your sins. The Bible says that all things are passed away and behold, everything has become new. And I want to encourage you now to grow in your faith with Jesus because this prayer, it's not some magical thing and it's not uh, just fire insurance, but it's just the beginning of a lifelong walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so start by getting in the Bible every single day, just a little bit. Start in the gospel of Mark and you'll be amazed at how God is speaking to you. And then also begin to pray. Talk to him just a little bit every day because God wants to hear from you as well. And then let somebody know what you've done. Go on our website, LancasterFirst.com, fill out a Connect card and, and let us know. Or better yet, even just put it in the chat uh, box and, uh, and, and, and we'll connect with you and, and help you grow in Christ. And then we're also going to be putting some resources in the chat box that you can take advantage of and begin to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Well, would you all just bow with me now as I close this service in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us today in our homes, in our families. God, I pray that you would bless everyone who's tuned in with your grace and with your mercy and your kindness and your strength. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.